what happens when I die? It's a question that has fascinated, intrigued, and worried human beings from the very earliest civilizations right the way through to the present day. Our race struggles to believe that death is the end. We seem to have this innate sense that this life is not all there is, a sense that there has to be something more. But why do all human beings have this feeling of there being something more? C.S. Lewis put it like this. He wrote, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So the question, what happens when I die, is an important one. It's not the kind of question uh, that we should put off trying to answer until we're on our deathbed, because what we believe about this will determine the way that we live our lives. Uh, So we come to the last in our series on 1 Corinthians, uh, and it's been a challenging series, and today will be challenging too, uh, because uh, we are looking at the uniquely Christian doctrine of resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the linchpin of Christianity. Without it, the wheels literally fall off. And of course, it's the aspect of our faith that can give us some sense of what eternity might look like. This is the Christian answer to the question, what happens when I die? So over the next 20 minutes or so, we're going to look at three things. What did the Corinthians believe? What does our culture believe? And what ought Christians to believe? So firstly, what did the Corinthians believe? That is to say, the believers in the city of Corinth, this little community of Jesus' followers, what was their take on all this? Well, to be honest, it's hard to know for certain, but most likely they did believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, but they didn't believe in the resurrection of all believers. They didn't believe in a more general resurrection, and certainly they didn't believe in bodily resurrection. Uh, Greek thinking, Plato and others, uh, was a very significant influence. So they would have had some concept of the immortality of the soul. Uh, But that is a far cry from the Christian belief in literal bodily resurrection. Now, I think it would have been very strange for them not to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, given the amount of evidence that existed and still exists. And in verses 1 to 8, Paul summarizes some of this evidence. And he begins by saying, Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. And there were lots of eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Firstly, Cephas, that is Peter. Uh, And then there were the 12 disciples. Now, of course, we know by this stage, uh, Judas Iscariot had hanged himself, uh, but uh, they had chosen Matthias to replace Judas. So there were 12 disciples, and we can assume, I think, that Matthias also saw the risen Jesus at around this time. Uh, And then Jesus appeared to more than 500 believers all at the same time, most of whom were still living when Paul wrote this letter. Finally, Jesus appeared to James. James was uh, Jesus' own flesh and blood brother. And uh, last of all, Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. And we're familiar with that story. We know that Peter and Paul visited Corinth. Uh, So that's at least two witnesses. There were also at least 500 other people who could be asked 
Is this true? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? The resurrection of Jesus is a well-documented historical fact. But for the Corinthians, it was supported by multiple eyewitness accounts, people they could actually ask. Uh, So it's unlikely that the Corinthians were having problems believing that Jesus had risen from the dead. However, they clearly misunderstood Paul's teaching on the resurrection of all believers. And in a way, that's understandable because there were probably people in their community who had died and they'd not been uh, raised uh, to new life. They'd not been resurrected in a, in, a, in a visible sense that they could see. So they were struggling to underha- understand what does happen to a Christian who dies. But they seem to have ruled out bodily resurrection. So why is that a problem? Well, Paul uh, encourages them to follow their line of thinking to its natural conclusion. Now, it's pretty obvious that if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, no one else will be. But it also works the other way around. There'd be no point in the bodily resurrection of Jesus if it didn't lead to the bodily resurrection of his followers. In verse 13, Paul writes, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Without the resurrection, the whole message of Christianity is utterly meaningless. Atheists often like to attack Christianity at various points. Uh, So they will say things like, the Genesis account of creation is unscientific. Or the God of the Old Testament was capricious and violent. Or Christianity has been the source of so much war and bloodshed. And and all the other uh, arguments that no doubt you've heard. In fact, they keep trotting out the same arguments time and time again. Of course, there are very good responses that we could give to those arguments. But in a way, they're all a bit of a red herring because Christianity hinges on the resurrection. So the most logical place to attack Christianity would be to disprove the resurrection because if you could do that, then the whole lot just comes crashing down. But for the most part, atheists don't like to talk about the resurrection. And that is because there is a great deal of evidence for it. If you're interested, there's a book called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. He was an investigative journalist with a background in law, an atheist who set out to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. And in the process, he became convinced that it's true, uh, that Jesus really did rise from the dead. He was convinced by the evidence And this is of crucial importance to all of us because, as Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Sin is like a hereditary disease that has infected the whole of the human race. And it's a fatal condition. It always leads to death. But Jesus has taken our sin upon himself. He bore it on the cross. And then he took it down to the grave and he left it there. Jesus rose to new and everlasting life so that in him we can do the same. But everlasting life is not about our spirit being whisked away to some other place. It's about being raised as an integral person and that includes 
our physical body. God made us to be physical beings as well as spiritual beings. And it is the bodily resurrection of the dead that the Corinthians had failed to grasp. So that's what the Corinthians believed. What about our culture? What does our culture believe? Well, that's an ambiguous question because people believe all kinds of things. And I think therein lies the answer. Our culture really doesn't know what to believe. Uh, when I was preparing for this, I watched a series of Vox Pops, uh, street interviews. People were asked randomly in the street, what happens when you die? And as you can imagine, there were some very interesting answers. Uh, one man said, I'm not really sure. It's a phenomenon that re- no one really knows about. And I think a lot of people would give that answer. But it's not a very satisfactory answer, especially if our eternal destiny is in some sense riding on this question. One person said, I reckon there is another place that you go to. I'd like to think so anyway. I don't really believe in the whole heaven and hell. If you're bad, you go to one place. If you're good, you go to another. I think maybe you start afresh and there's somewhere to go. It sounds like she liked the idea of heaven, but only if everyone gets to go there. But if everyone's slate is automatically wiped clean, uh, regardless of their response to Christ, regardless of the direction that they're headed, it means that there are no consequences for our actions in this life. And that would ultimately mean that there is no justice. And there are so many people who are crying out for justice. Another said, I'm quite morbid. I don't think there's anything. I think you just stop being. Well, that is quite depressing. And if it's true, it means that our lives don't have any ultimate meaning or purpose. And for those who are really suffering in this life, it offers absolutely no hope whatsoever. Not only that, but it doesn't explain the fact that we have this deep yearning for something more. The next person said, I think something still lives. You die, but your spirit still lives. Yeah, I believe in ghosts. I don't know about you, but I really don't want to be a ghost. And I don't want anyone I love to be a ghost either. It's like this weird halfway house between the living and the dead. Who wants that? I mean, some people take comfort in the thought of their loved ones looking down on them. That's the expression that's used, isn't it? Uh, A bit like Mufasa looking down on Simba in the film The Lion King. But where are these people who are supposedly looking down on us? Are they in the clouds? Are they in heaven? If they're in heaven, why do we assume that heaven's up there, they're looking down? How did they get there? A lot of people like to believe that there's someone, a relative, looking down on them. It's a very popular view, but there is nothing Christian about that view. Another interviewee said, when you die, I think you just wait around for a bit and then just cycle back through your life again so you live what you've done already. So if I died now, I'd go back to 1992 and be reborn as myself. So he mentioned being reborn, but in this case, new birth doesn't mean new life. It just means repeating the same life over and over again. Well, that sounds like a nightmare. It's like Groundhog Day on steroids. Another person said, I believe in reincarnation. So after death, you have your memory erased and live again as another person. But I want to know, well, who's doing this memory erasing and why? She went on to say, if you've lived a good life, you might be reincarnated as a human being. You'll probably be rich and comfortable. 
But if you've been bad, then you might be reincarnated as a lower species. So she clearly wants there to be some kind of justice in the world. And a lot of people want that. Another man said, I always think if you were good, you'd be rewarded for being good. But if you were bad, then obviously you should pay for what you did. And I think it's reasonable and right that we should cry out for justice. And we'll come back to that. But what we've seen is a myriad of views about what happens when we die. But nobody on those Vox Pops talked about resurrection. Because resurrection is a uniquely Christian belief. So let us turn now to what Christians believe. I should probably say what Christians ought to believe, because I think even within the church, there's a good deal of confusion about this. You know, most religions, if not all, believe in some kind of afterlife. This idea of the immortality of the soul. And the Greek philosopher Plato was talking about this 400 years before Paul wrote this letter. And Paul wrote this letter nearly 2,000 years ago. So there's nothing new in this. But many of the views that people hold today actually stem from this Platonic, ancient Greek way of thinking. That has shaped the way people view things even today. And then in the first century, Plato's ideas were taken even further into the realms of Gnosticism. And the Gnostics believe that all matter is evil and that there's a non-material spiritual realm that is good. And so to die meant being freed from this evil body to live a pure life in the spiritual realm. So the Gnostics, basically, uh, all, all that is physical is evil, that's bad. All that is spiritual, that's good. And the whole aim of life is to get away from the evil, uh, the, the, the physical, and, and live in this spiritual existence. That's the Gnosticism. And some of these ideas have somehow permeated uh, Christianity. So a lot of Christians, even today, believe that when we die, our soul or our spirit is taken away to this place called heaven, and we leave this evil world behind us once and for all. And so there is a belief there in an afterlife, but that's not really resurrection life. Of course, that understanding is a step on from where the Corinthians were. They seem to believe that the resurrection of the dead had already happened in every sense. In other words, all we can expect as Christians is what we have now, because when we die, that's it. But Paul says in verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people the most to be pitied. So what is the proper Christian perspective of resurrection life? Well, firstly, it's the opposite, the antithesis of death. We spoke earlier about justice, and I think everyone cries out for justice. We, uh, there's a part of us, we, we, we don't want to think that evil people will get away with their evil deeds. When I was uh, away on camp with the year 10s, uh, we had some really interesting conversations, and I, I realized that a lot of them believed in karma, you know, this idea that what goes around comes around. So I asked them, well, who or what causes karma to happen? And they didn't know. But they wanted to believe there is justice in the world, and I think that's an admirable thing to hope for. But justice has to apply to everyone. And the Bible teaches that we are all sinful. We all have this hereditary disease. We all rebel against our Creator. And there would be something deeply troubling if, if creatures who are in active rebellion against their Creator were allowed to live forever. 
And so the penalty for sin is death and separation from God. And if you struggle with the word penalty, then consequence. The natural consequence of turning away from God is to be separated from him. But isn't that what we'd expect? I mean, you can't be with someone if you are persistently walking away from them. It doesn't make sense. The good news is God loves you and he wants you to be with him forever. And it seems that he will go to almost any lengths to make that possible. But the one thing God will not and cannot do is force you to love him. When it comes to love, as soon as you attempt to force, cajole, badger, convince, demand, whatever it is you're left with, it won't be love. But God has made a way for us to get back to him. He offers us life instead of death. Jesus took our sin, my sin and your sin, upon himself. That's what he was doing on the cross. He died the death that is owed to us for our sin and rebellion against God. He died so that we don't have to. So how do we know this is true? Well, we know it's true because Jesus rose from the dead. Paul says that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, if you want to know what happens to Christians who have died, who have fallen asleep, then you only have to look at what happened to Jesus. In the same way that Jesus was resurrected as an integral person, body and all, that is what awaits those who put their faith in him. Jesus didn't appear to the disciples as a disembodied spirit or ghost. Jesus wasn't uh, looking down on them from afar. Jesus wasn't reincarnated as some other life form. He walked among them. He spoke with them. He ate with them. He interacted with them. He had a real body. This world that we inhabit is not going to be scrapped. Our bodies are not going to be done away with, changed, yes. But the physical world, the material world, will still exist. God has created the physical world, including our bodies. They are good, and one day they will be made perfect. The whole of creation will be made perfect. And think about it. If God created the physical world, and at some point down the line, he just kind of screws it up and throws it in the celestial waste paper basket, and we all live in this place called heaven, then that is a failure of the creation project. God's creation project will not fail. It will be made perfect as it was intended to be. What happens when I die? Well, as a Christian, in Paul's words, I will fall asleep. We don't fully understand what that means. I can only imagine being in a very deep sleep where you're not conscious of anything. You don't know what's going on around you. And when Jesus returns at the end of time, I will, we, we will be uh, resurrected with new bodies to inhabit a renewed and restored creation. That is what the Bible points us to. A physical world that has been made perfect. Death will not be our lot because in Christ our sins have been forgiven. We've been reconciled to God. We've been brought back into a right relationship with God through Christ. And that's a relationship that lasts forever. We might say, what kind of body will I have? What will the world look like? 
And Paul addresses those sorts of questions. He actually says we'd be foolish to ask them. Uh, Well, I must be foolish because sometimes I do ask those kind of questions. But we won't be the same. This world won't be the same. Just as a seed that is planted is different from the plant that it grows up into. We didn't read these verses today, but verses 42 to 44 say this. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. But make no mistake, Paul is not simply referring to some kind of afterlife. He is describing resurrection life, a life that begins when we submit to the lordship of Jesus and continues beyond the grave with a literal bodily resurrection. The Christian worldview is so much more satisfying than the alternatives. Sin is dealt with. We can be at peace with God, with ourselves, with other people. The Christian worldview is so much more hopeful than the alternatives. Death is not the end. Justice will be done. The hardships of this life, the struggles, the pain, the difficulties, will be worth it. And the Christian worldview is by far the most coherent. It makes sense of this world that we live in. And it all hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, an event for which we have a great deal of evidence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you love us enough to have entered into your creation in the person of Jesus, to have lived, to have died, and then to rise to new and everlasting life, that we, through you, might do the same. Thank you for finding a way through death. Thank you for finding a way for our sins to be forgiven, that we can be in a right relationship with you. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we will contemplate deeply the the evidence of the resurrection and then think very deeply as well about what this means to us, what this means about our lives, how we live our lives, uh, where our sense of purpose comes from. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we'll have the boldness to proclaim this amazing news that we don't have to be confused about these big questions of life. What happens when I die? We can have confidence because we can see and we know that your son Jesus has risen from the dead. We can have confidence that we will do the same. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.